Welcome to the Heart of Dad podcast, the show for business owner dads who are passionate about creating a massive impact in the world without sacrificing their family life. Subscribe on your preferred platform to get the latest episodes and join our mailing list at www.heartofdad.com. As a thank you, you'll get free access to all the recordings from the recent Heart of Dad Summit, where we dive deeply into what it is to be a business-owning dad. This week on Heart of Dad, I'm interviewing coach, business and family man, Craig Hurd. So this week on Heart of Dad, I'm really delighted to introduce my friend and fellow coach, Craig Hurd. Hey, Craig. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. No, it's brilliant to have you uh, here on the show. And uh, just before we hit record, I was saying how much I enjoyed uh, coming on your own podcast uh, a few weeks back or yeah, there's a few weeks back now. Um, and what a great conversation we had. So I was really excited to to turn the tables and be able to spend some time with you and um, hear a bit more about you know your story and your life. So uh, thanks for coming on the show, Craig. Oh, it's, yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I loved doing that episode and it was a really popular one. So I think you really showed my opinion and the opinion of a lot of men that listened to that episode is you really portrayed a lot of value, a lot of expertise and what was 30 minutes. So I'm hopefully I can do half of what you did. <laughs> Uh, no pressure on yourself there. Yeah. Um, but, but first, I would love you to just to say a little bit about yourself, if you will, just to tell us uh, you know, who you are, where you are, what you do, a little bit about your family situation as well. Yeah, sure. So Craig Hurd, you probably heard, but I, a little bit about me. I said primarily, I describe myself as a man and then a father and then a partner after that. Professionally, uh, I would say I help work with men and I work with men who run a business. So a lot aligned with the kind of people listening to this. And really what I, I help them do, what my background is, is I help them grow their business to a level that they're excited about, really without all the stuff that we don't want, without the burnout, without getting to 60 and, and being out of shape, overwhelmed, disconnected from our kids and rich, but we don't care. So I help men grow their business in a way that that keeps them vitalized and excited about work, not only this year, but 30 years from now. Fantastic mission. I love that. It's very aligned with uh, with my own view of uh, how to support men with what they want. So I, I love that you're doing that, Craig. And um, yeah, I've been kicking off uh, this season with a question, um, which I've been asking all the dads coming on, and that is, what does fatherhood mean to you today? Yeah. It's funny because you gave, you gave me warning on that question and it's a great one. <laughs> um, what does it mean to me? I think without, over, without overthinking it, what, what appears in my head and my heart is, is an example. When I, when I think about my relationship with my dad, before I knew what to look for, what I was looking for was how to do things. And for the relationship with my, my mom was always different than the relationship with my dad with, I think I almost looked to my mom like a lot of us do for, for comfort, for support, and for our dads, especially as men, we look to our dads for, for guidance and for how-to and for leadership. And for me, that's what I know best how to do when it comes to, to, to my son. And I've got a daughter on the way, so I, I might redefine what I mean by fatherhood in about six months. 
but in probably about 16 years and six months from now, which is again, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, when I, when I think about what it means to be a father, I think ultimately it's, it's a little bit of leadership and setting the example for the kids. I love that. Um, and can we dive straight into that a little bit, actually? Yeah. Because yeah, you know, lead, leadership is such a brilliant term. And um, I had Devin Banderson on the end of last year and he's written a book fatherhood as leadership and it really inspired mm. me that book i don't know if you've you've read it yourself but it's a really it's, it's a great sh- you know, shout out for any dads listening to this podcast i really recommend that book but what, what do you see as leadership um at, at this time in your life well yeah it's a really good question it's probably the, the the one question that i've really tried to almost redefine for myself in the last what would it be three or three or so years i think when for something that's always been super important to me and I've not always recognized is, is the, the, the value of mentors and whether that be my dad, of course, was my first mentor and first example, first leader, but I've had other ones. We've all had teachers. We've all had maybe even men, uh, professional coaches or we've, we've had bosses that have really set the example and shaped how we, how we view the world a little bit and given us a track to run on. I think when I, I've been at my lowest points, and there's definitely been a couple of those, and one in particular is when I completely lost sight of what I was supposed to be doing and what I, what really dragged me out of the lowest pit I can I've been in in recent years was was leadership was having individuals round about me who could point me in a direction, give me a track to run on, give me support when I needed it, and, and ultimately push me to to climb out of that pit. And that might sound a little bit holistic and a little bit broad, but I think that's what a leader can do. I think whether we're a leader in business or a leader in our our home, it's our job to really set the pace, our job to point the right direction. And the great thing about leadership is it doesn't, when I say right direction, it doesn't need to be the perfect direction. It just needs to be a strong, bold move forward. And our kids will decide to be their own people. They'll decide whether they agree with us and they want to follow our path or not. But for me, by, by staking a, a strong path for the kids, is they can choose to go, yep, I want to follow this. Or that's really taught me what I do want to do and what I don't want to do. But I think... When I've really struggled, it's, it's because I've not had a direction, I've not had a purpose, I've not had a place to point. And when I really excelled and the place I'm in nowadays is when I know what I'm looking towards, I know what I want, I know what needs to be done, and I'm, I'm moving quickly. And so I think that's that's the kind of crux of, of leadership. And it's what I, I might be right, might be wrong, but it's it seems to work pretty well so far. I love that answer. Um, I, I, th- I think I heard that you're not making a distinction between leadership in business and leadership at home. For you, yeah. they're, they're, they're one and the same. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I, th- I think that I once met Simon Sinek, and uh, for anyone that doesn't know, he's the author of Start With Why, and he's written, since then, he's written a number of books on leadership. And I went to one of his talks and grabbed him afterwards. I had, I was compelled to grab him afterwards and ask him a question or two. And the question I got in was, uh, Simon, can you create leaders or are they just born? And rightly or wrongly, he said, no, you can set the stage, but ultimately the leaders will step forward and those that don't want to lead, they want to follow, they'll stay back. 
And so leadership is, is, a, is a, an approach and leadership is, uh, is a doing word and leadership's a, a, a way of moving. And so to switch it off at six o'clock when you get home or whatever time's relevant doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's, it's, a, it's a decision, to, a way to move. And it's not to say you always have to be in front. You know, in, in, in times in leadership, in business, it might be appropriate for you to be the head, head, of, the, head of the table setting the example. And at home, it might make sense for your 10-year-old kid to take charge for the day and lead the Sunday walk, you know, whatever it might be. But yeah, leadership is, uh, is a flow of energy, I'd say, rather than uh, a title or even something you do between certain hours. I think that makes a lot less sense to me. Mm, yeah, that makes sense to me too. Good. And, and how, how explicit are you about leadership in your family? You know, is it something you talk about as a family and that you um, actively use that language and um, that they know that you, you've adopted that position? Yeah, so I guess that's, that's a super interesting point. So there's a distinction to be made between leader, leadership and, and being the boss. At home, I'm definitely not the boss. <laughs> The uh, the female counterpart to to my world is is very much the boss. She is the leader in that in that uh, in that that setup at home. Um, kids are small, and so we don't use that terminology. I would say when it comes the mistake that a lot of people will make, I believe personal belief, just an opinion, is that leadership is a, a title. Leadership is a as a conversation. Leadership is a buzzword. For me, leadership is more about movement and uh, direction. In our family, we, we really think that, you know, fortune favors the brave and you, you go after what you, you want to go after and you, you get it right, you get it wrong, but ultimately you go, go after what you're looking for. Um, for me, that, that's an embodiment of that effort. And I don't always get it perfect. None of us do. But as a father, that's... I think when I think back to my dad and my experience of fatherhood growing up, it wasn't particularly what he said. He didn't often say a lot or outwardly give a lot of advice. In truth, the biggest examples I got from my dad were in the ways I saw him moving and the way I saw him work and the way I saw him with the family, both good and bad. Um, all the examples I took on how to be a dad from my dad were in the way that he moved. And so I really try and be conscious of that nowadays as a dad that they're it's not they're not listening to what i'm saying they're they're watching me and well if they're going to watch me then i need to make sure i set a good example that's brilliant and uh, can we unpick that even a little bit more because i think you've heard you use this word movement a lot um mm. which is really fascinating to me because there's kind of like and you talked about embodiment um earlier so it sounds like relationship with body and the physicality almost of of leadership is something you've thought about of and and, and live out as well can you tell us a little bit more about that craig yeah yeah 100 percent. so there's probably there's a short version of this and a longer version what, what would you rather uh well we've got time yeah go go for the long yeah. version <laughs> yeah we're all about getting into depth here yeah okay so this is uh, this all came about from a time in which I completely lacked the things that I, I valued so highly nowadays, and um, uh, it was back in not that long ago, two thousand and uh, two thousand seventeen, and I was working as a head of sales for 
uh, a company down in London. And we were, on the outside, it was going pretty well. I'd, I'd, we were doing about, head of sales, and we were doing about 2.4 million a year. And I had a team of 45, 55 uh, guys that I was leading. And at that time, I was exactly what I was looking for in a role. What happened, though, is what happens to a lot of men is that I met the love of my life and together we had a son. And as soon as that happened, really, the whole game changed. It was a new game with new roles, and I just didn't know how to, how to play this new game. And I find myself getting super overwhelmed. I didn't know how to be a father. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of what I already knew about how to be a father. I felt like there was a there was a playbook that I hadn't read yet read yet read, and I started to almost collapse in myself in that I was was underperforming at the job and I had to resign from that job and tried to work for myself as I'd done in the past and done relatively easily relatively simply and didn't seem to be able to even do that and pull it together enough to do that. And what ended up happening is that I fell into a complete pit in which I ended up taking night shifts in a warehouse and working 60 hours in the nights just to kind of keep the family going, keep myself going. My confidence was completely on the floor and I didn't recognize the person that I was anymore. I, the worst point was when I, I really found myself sitting in front of the doctor. She was going through a checklist of what she thought I might have saying, yeah, without question, it's depression, it's anxiety. Here's the pills you need to take and best of luck to you. And it was just a complete departure from everything that I've worked toward being and everything I thought I would be when I was a, a new dad. And at that stage, I was so desperate for answers that I was looking to everyone and anyone who could help me. But the biggest problem that stopped me actually making any kind of progress was two things. It was one, it was being honest. And it was being honest with myself about what was going on, what I was struggling with. And it was honest with other people. I was still lying. I was still speaking to ex-colleagues of mine and telling them, yep, business is great. Smashing it another record year. All this kind of nonsense. Fatherhood's brilliant. Yeah, we're going to have another, no problem. And inside, I was totally falling apart. You look back at pictures of me then, you just think that is not a healthy guy. But I just looked in the mirror and I thought everything was okay, even at that stage. So the first big mistake I made was that I was lying to everybody, including myself, about what was going on. And the second is because I wasn't telling the truth, I would ask for help in my kind of weakened way. And it was it was weak in which the, w- the way I was asking. But because I was BS in the world, the questions I asked weren't the real questions I needed to ask because it was some mask, some version of myself was asking the questions. And I didn't want to ask the real questions I wanted to ask because that would then reveal what was going on. And so it was once, I, only when I really became honest with myself and the people around me, people were able to help me in the way that I needed. And the biggest thing, and the first thing, was that people helped me rewrite the stories that I was telling myself. I was telling myself that I was a failed 
business owner, I wasn't capable of very much. I may, maybe thought I was going to be a good dad, but I wasn't. I wasn't capable of being a good dad. I didn't know what I was doing. There was a playbook I hadn't read. All these stories I was telling myself. And when I spoke to other dads, and this is one of the biggest, beyond yourself, this is one of the biggest motivations I loved in podcasts, podcasts like this, where it's a conversation among men and fathers. Every man and every father I spoke to went, good on you. And I heard, good on me, for what? And they would go, yeah, well, that's the way I see it, is that's a guy who will do anything he can to make sure his family's taken care of. And I was going, wow, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. And so it was from that that I started to learn some of the lessons that I, I now hold so dearly. One of them was just our, call it energy flow or our movement, as you say, our embodiment or our alignment is a, is a great word you used. But when we're, when we're lying to ourselves, when we're telling a story that we think people want to hear, when we're inventing our world and portraying it in a world that, in a way that we think people want to see, there's no alignment there. There's no authenticity. There's, there's a lot of effort going in the wrong areas, a lot of energy going into creating and maintaining a story that isn't there. And that stops any kind of movement because we can't progress in anything, can't get better at anything if we're pretending we're somewhere else. And so what's become, and I'm imperfect at it, of course, but what becomes super important to me nowadays is being honest about where I'm at, being honest about the flaws, about the good stuff, about the bad stuff, and honest about where I want to be, where I want to go. And that only then, only when you can do that, can you, can you sit comfortably with yourself and you can track the path that you want to go. So that's the kind of long answer. Uh, but that's, that's really some of the events that formed my beliefs around, yeah, movement alignment and what everyone needs to be doing as a base level uh, communication with themselves and others. Amazing, Craig. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I think it will resonate with a lot of people. It certainly, certainly resonates with me. Good. I, I don't know if um, you're willing to go there, but uh, the question I had really that come, came up was, like, what were those questions that you didn't want to ask yourself or that you didn't oh. publicly want to ask and admit to yourself? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. What were the questions I didn't want to ask myself? I think the biggest was who am I really? And a big part of the person I was, so if I think back to when I was head of sales with this London company and we're doing 2.4 million uh, team that I was leading and all these kind of things, um, someone asked me, do you want to be doing any of that? And I went, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't considered that. I hadn't considered that is even though I progressed and, and looking back, I was probably addicted to progression, you know, predicted to just progress, maybe do, uh, dopamine or something, but I was getting good at being somebody else. 
you know, getting good at being a version of myself that I wasn't really that interested in being. And that caused a lot of uh, mental conflict. And then you can see it in photos, but eventually a physical, physical conflict because that stuff just eventually bleeds out. So I think the biggest question I was scared to ask myself is without all this BS, like who are you? What do you actually care about? Not what you think you should care about or what's the job you think you should have or what's even what's the, what's the vocation or career you could be good at? That's a question. That's a dangerous one. There's a d- distinction to be made between well, I could be really good at this, but yeah, but do you want to, do you want to do it? Um, and that was, that was one of them. I was good at that stuff, but I didn't like it. Put a lot of energy into just doing it, just getting my head into a place where I was okay doing it. So the, yeah, the, the biggest question, the scariest question is who are you really? And I guess once I figured that out and it's not figured out yet, (laughs) I'm still trying to figure that out, but do you want to live that way? And that's a, that's an easy answer and then a harder thing to do because the answer is always, well, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be good. Imagine if I could live like that all the time. But yeah, it's hard to do because often, and it was for me, I'd built my life around this version of myself. And when you've done that, you have to break it down again. You have to leave the job. You have to move place, sometimes move country. You have to give up on friends was a big one. There's a whole group of friends that I just had to say goodbye to because when I thought about myself and my, my authentic self, I thought, would I, would I spend time with these people? The great people, the lovely people, but is it me that's friends with them or are they friends with the version I'm trying to pretend I am? Yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? Something mm. to... Um... I've heard that many times before and and experienced it sometimes in my life that there's a recalibration of of friendships as you step into a a new kind of version of yourself or a more authentic version of yourself and and friendships fall away, which can be, can be quite tough. I think uh, for for people to to let go of that. And it's it's kind of like stepping off a cliff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good description because actually the the letting go of the the friendships is quite easy to do. You just don't arrange to meet them. Hmm. But it, the hard part is going, like there was a good four months probably where I thought oh, I, should, I, should, I should call that person up. I should make an effort. I should go and, go and see that person, go and see these people. And then eventually I went, no, okay. Because <laughs> they, don't, they don't align. They probably, I mean, and the funny thing was they didn't really call, they didn't call me with any urgency. So I'm not a super important part of their life. Um, and it, was, it became kind of okay. So, yeah, yeah the, the cliff is a good analogy because it's hard. It's, it's all about making the jump and being okay with, with that new you. Um, yeah, not, not seeing them is easy. <laughs> you just don't see them. <laughs> well, um, I don't know if you're willing to explore this, but I know you've got some very clear boundaries about what you're willing to talk about or not. But sure. You know, how, the, um, kind of meta- you're going through this metamorphosis mm. while you're in a relationship and you're a father and like, How's that playing out in the family dynamic for you? Because you know, you're going through some serious stress and kind of, uh, yeah. you haven't used the word breakdown, but it's kind of like there's something yeah. was breaking down, right? Yeah. And, um, how did that play out? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So 
It's a, it, break times are really super relevant to your question. Um, and it wasn't, the stress actually didn't come from a breakdown or burnout. Uh, for me, I mean, I was burnt, I was tired and, and probably burnt out. But when I think back on what was really causing the stress, it wasn't, and what was causing the stress on the relationship, it wasn't a breakdown of anything. It was a resistance to a breakdown. My, you know, call it the inner me, the, the actualized me, call it the universe, call it whatever, uh, call it God, if you like. Something was really trying to tell me it's time to make a shift. And that probably would have been pretty harmless, pretty easy to do if I'd just gone with it. But where all the stress came from was a resistance to that and a resistance to stay the way I was stick at that that job I mentioned I probably should have left about a year before I did like a year a year of just pretending and holding on until eventually I just had to go and the and the relationship where the relationship suffered the most was at the time I thought it was a disagreement or I was stressed and there was a disconnect and all this kind of stuff that looking back the reality was that my other half she saw me as the person I actually was. And women are brilliant at this. Um, <laughs> but she has a, a bullshit detector like no other. And hopefully I can swear. A bullshit detector. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a bullshit detector like no other. And she saw me for exactly who I actually was. And all the conflict was when she saw me repeatedly doing things that weren't in alignment to the version that she was in love with, which was the actual one. And I mean, that's a common story, I think, as well, is a lot of men say that, well, women are trying to change me. And, and maybe that's true some of the time, maybe it's not. My experience of it was that she wasn't trying to change me. She was really just trying to push me to be me. <laughs> and I fought her and I fought everybody on it. So I think where that really damaged the relationship wasn't, yeah, like I say, it wasn't the change, it was the resistance to the change. If you, you know, with the benefit of hindsight now, what, what would you um, attribute that resistance to? Mm. Mm-hmm. I think that's just fear of the unknown. I think people, there's a good Tony Robbins thing where people listening to this probably heard of Tony Robbins or Anthony Robbins, but he talks about people are willing to put up with all kind of hell to stick with what they know. And so I was spending all my time clutching on to the way I used to be or the way I built myself up to be. Not because I didn't want to be that person or be, be the actualized me, but because I didn't know what that would be like. Like there was something really familiar about being the, the version of me I was used to. And it was a too big a jump. And this, I, I'm, I've been through enough therapy and spoken to enough coaches now to be pretty forgiving of myself and recognize that I'm human and that um, to not be able to do that instantly is okay. And to be resistant to that is okay in hindsight. Uh, but that, that, that was the core of it. I was just scared and I was just terrified of uh, not, not knowing 
what it, what if I was authentically myself, more of myself, and I don't know, people didn't like it, or my other half didn't like it, or my son thought worse of it, all these kind of things. I'm so glad you've you've shared that because to me that is an absolute universal. You know, when I see it in in in, in the work that I do uh, previously as a therapist, but now as a coach, mm. you know, that comes into the coaching conversation so frequently. You know, yeah. Will will people still like me if I change? Will will the world still have a place for me, a space for me? Can they accommodate this kind of expanded, powerful, authentic version of myself, or will they just kind of you know send me to to burn in hell for it? Yeah. And well, the, the funny thing I learned about it is they might, you know, that's, that's the thing is that the people that exist in your world right now, and I don't mean you, I mean, I mean me then, or some men listening to this, if you make a shift like that, the fear is, well, the people close, the people around about me won't like it, or I won't be able to live this life in the way that I live it if I change and I'm not more authentically yourself. And that's the fear. What if that happens? But it might happen and it did happen for me and that's probably going to happen because the way you are right now is in alignment your outward your outward presentation of yourself is in alignment with that life so of course it's going to match so if you change how you are your universe and your people around about you will have to change too the the caveat is that it's not bad it's just different and the likelihood is you'll find a lot more peace and you'll like the other version of things a whole lot more. Yeah, there's a massive upside, right, which we, we shouldn't yeah. neglect to, to talk about uh, because yeah. you know, you're here thriving and you know, clearly enjoying life and in alignment yeah. with, with who you are. I, I I take say, it, it's funny, I'd, I'd even caveat, caveat that. Is I think the, and the goal of it isn't to find some kind of inner peace or find some happiness or find some moment but when i do interview it's funny when i do interviews like this I, I see it clearly in that it's more about the progress not about any kind of particular destination which sounds like a miley cyrus song or something but um <laughs> it's it's move, becoming more and more myself and creating a world and a life and a business that's more and more aligned to me i'm not there yet but it's a lot better than it was it gets better all the time. And the progress and the movement towards that keeps me way happier than any particular outcome. Like I'll never get there because as soon as I get there, I'll have a different view of the world. It's that, that old thing of what's, you know, what's beyond the horizon where you have to get to the horizon to see the next bit. Um, so I'd say if, if, any, if any men are listening to this and they think, well, I'd love to make a change. I'd love to live more authentically. I fucking hate my job because it makes me do something I hate for 50 hours a week. Well, you know, make the change and just recognize that you don't have to go from, you know, chaos to order in a week and a half. There's no, there's no moment. It's just, it's the direction. And again, it comes back to what you're saying. If it's the direction and the flow of energy rather than arriving. Yeah, so true. And one step at a time as well. I think you, you just made a really important point, which is, you know, it's evolution, not revolution. Sometimes it has to be revolution. You know, if you get to a, a crisis point or, or events kind of boot you in a particular direction, that happens sometimes. But but all these things are possible to do, you know, a step at a time. That's all you can do, really. That's a re really good reminder. But, um, before I change direction, I want to talk a little bit about kind of a, a bit more about fatherhood. But um, mm. 
while we're on the kind of uh, topic of business and life and kind of identity as a man, what, you know, what's your what's your big picture vision for your life for the next few years? Where where would you love to see things going? Is this for yeah for for me and and my business? Yeah, starting there, but but maybe expand that beyond. You know, for in, to, to your family, if you will, as well. Yeah, hundred percent. So this is well, if we date this, this is. March 2021, and uh, yeah, we're still in the UK. We're very much in lockdown, and I don't know about you, but going off our minds. Um, it's funny having this restriction and this this uh, these boundaries very much put on us and put in place for the right reasons, for the wrong reasons, whatever. Having them in place does help with that clarity because you go, I really miss it this i wish we could do this i wish we could do that so the personal vision for our, our family is to uh <laughs> we get granular in how many kids and how how many pets but the, the big picture is to live a life of authentic authenticity and freedom and what that means for us is family built on love and that includes things like adoption or in our future uh it also means a thing like businesses that align with what we want to do, not the stuff that pays the best. Uh, it also means things like travel. We're not particularly bothered about buying a house. We could have done it long ago if we, if we wanted to, but would rather have the freedom than the, than the bricks and mortar. Uh, having our kids homeschooled is a big thing and not quite uh, Bibles nine till five or, or whatever people think of what I think of when I think of homeschool. But uh, I guess when it comes down to is living our life on, on our terms based on the things we want and that fill us up and then helping our kids to align with that and educating them on simple things and complicated things, simple things being how to balance a checkbook, <laughs> how to, uh, how a credit card works, you know, how to buy a house if they so choose, all these things that we weren't taught in school. And then that comes with, with big complicated things about how the world works, how uh, different parts of the, the world looks to be born and die in the same postcode. It's a pretty scary thought. So those are some of the big picture things that we think about. And when I think about my businesses, when I'm authentically myself, I'm, I'm horrible a lot of things, but I'm, I'm good at a small number of things. And for me, it's, it's helping a lot of this has come on in the last probably four years, but uh, I'm good at helping with frameworks. I'm good at structure. I'm good at models. I'm good at sales and marketing. I've been doing, that's my, been my craft for the last 15 years. And so I'm at the moment, we're going through a transition in my business where we're really helping men to restructure their, their business and their life to align with them helping to grow the business and doing it in a way that doesn't kill them, that instead lights them up and gets them excited to go to work. So those are some of the kind of sweeping big things that I'm excited to move towards. Fantastic. I'm so glad you shared that. They're really, really inspirational. And um, yeah, I wanted to turn just for the last segment of the podcast towards uh, fatherhood. And um, mm. you know, one of the things we connected on when we first met was, uh, you know, we both have children due uh, this year, um, I think you're a little, you're a little bit behind uh, where we are, yeah. but not not far. Um, so that's going to be a big change coming into your into your family life. You know, the first yeah. thing I wanted to ask you, Craig, like, how do you how do you see um, as far as one can imagine this of welcoming a, another child into your into your family? 
Yeah, we're we're extremely grateful for that. We our our personal backstory on on having our second is uh, our it's taken five five miscarriages to get to our our second. The, our first um, came easy, and then and then for whatever reason, the second has been a a very different experience. I mean, that's that's brought. Uh, tremendous sadness and challenge and um, ha- having it actually happen and having it being weeks away rather than years away as a, as a prospect is, is yeah, just, just joyful is the word. Um, there's a, I've learned a lot about <laughs> what we're, <laughs> what we're told about miscarriage and what we're told about what's supposed to happen. And I've also learned a lot about my other half. I remember um, how she got to five. I have no idea. Um, how, how she has that kind of level of desire to be a mama again is incredible. Like I, women are stronger than men in, in, a, in a good good amount of ways. And that is one of them. And for whatever reason, she just, yeah, for her, her pure will, after five miscarriages, she said, well, let's try one more time. And we'd read a number of books and would mountain of books and would read every study that the NHS has never heard of. <laughs> and we just had, had, well, I was waiting for her permission to, to try again, but she had just enough confidence to think it was a good idea. And it was the one that worked. And so I'm eternally grateful for her for having both the will and the scientific mind to search out the answers that we weren't getting from traditional means. Um, but yeah, I think joyful is the joyful in terms of the, the baby that's due to arrive. And then uh, a bit of gratitude, well, a massive amount of gratitude for mother half and also just I'm in awe of her ability to persist through what was an awful two years. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. And I think, um, you know, I I was aware through personal circumstances of, you know, miscarriage in in, in pregnancy, but it's actually way more common than um, people think. And, And also hardly ever spoken about amongst men. Yeah. So, and, and funnily enough, this series has been, uh, well, we had a great interview with Chris Fenning a, a few weeks back. He's got an amazing story to tell about that. And also we've had a few others, uh, including David Foster, who you know as well, sure, yeah. his story. Um, can you tell us a little bit, Craig, about you know, your inner world experience of um, five miscarriages, you know, what, what, what it, mm. how it played out for you um, yeah. in, your, in your world? Inner inner world is the best way to think about it because I mean somebody's listened to this and they've never had a miscarriage that going news uh, and something to be grateful for when we had our first and our second the narrative that we were told from the NHS and even from mis- quote miscarriage specialists is that it happens to one in three which I don't know where that number comes from. It's got to be higher because as soon as you have a miscarriage and you ask about it, you speak to other men, you speak to other 
women, they go, yep, me too. So I don't know where one in three comes from or one in four, I think I've heard as well. But I think the, the, the kind of things that I was, I was going through in that process was a lot of hurt that was presenting itself in anger, a feeling a, a complete lack of control. I was angry at doctors for not knowing more. Um, it was, you know, I, I remember thinking, this is your job. You're supposed to know. We're supposed to know what to do. Um, and then not having the, the answers just... And no one seemed to have the answers with it was the hard part. And then I felt guilt because I thought, am I being selfish by asking my other half to go through this again? I know she said she wants to. I know she said she wants to, but do I, am I being selfish? Um, I felt guilty that there was something I was doing wrong, which is silly to think. Like, how would you do it right? How would you do it wrong? But is there, am I not healthy enough? Am I not, you know, we're not supposed to have it and we're really pushing against what is. And I'd say the question that you didn't ask of what, what do you do about it? I mean, there was, all those things are, there was some truth in a little bit of all of that in the, the, I don't, there's no study, there's no science that I can quote that, that changed our situation. The biggest breakthrough we had is we read a book that I would recommend anybody who's going through miscarriage at least once uh, reads, which is called It Starts With The Egg. And it's all about, it's written by a, a midwife who said, who, the, the context of the book is, she goes, look, I'm not a scientist. I haven't done some 9,000 pregnant women's study. She said, but here's some correlations, some causations, perhaps between women that have healthy babies and women that have miscarriages. It's no one's fault. It's nothing's wrong. Nothing's right. But she says, here's the vitamin profile of healthy mamas. Here's the vitamin profile of mums who, who lose, or rather I should say parents who, who lose. And it was staggering that there was science out there that was from something other than the doctors, the, the people that were supposed to know. They had no idea. They'd never heard of this. What is the, what's your vitamin D levels got to do with getting pregnant or not or keeping the baby? And so we, we digested books like that. And that was the one that seemed to have the breakthrough where we, we did a review of our vitamin profile and realized how off it was from what they recommended, what this midwife recommended. And that gave us some hope enough that we tried again but if i without knowing because i don't know and we won't know but without knowing that was this the, the thing that seemed to work and it was ignoring the doctors that said just keep trying and it was going to somebody who said like i don't know but i think this might be what's causing it um and so it was a little bit true that i wasn't we weren't quite healthy enough and but just in all the different places that you would think to look yeah, that's a great share. Mm. And um, I mean, I guess this is different for each man who goes through this, but um, you know, how did you create space and process your own feelings, if, if at all, James? Because I guess there's a lot of attention goes on 
you know the the woman's experience and yeah. her feelings of loss and, and grief and despair and anger and frustration and sound and all that sort of stuff and mm. and uh, without stereotyping too much it often i can imagine that often you know men quite rightly gravitate towards supporting their their uh, yeah. partners and wives through this um but maybe at the expense sometimes of their own experience and how did yeah. you or were you able to create space for, for your own process yeah. in this yeah it's a good question so i think it is hard to give content i do think it's harder for women because there's uh especially obviously there's a and if anyone's gone through it they'll know but there's different types of miscarriage some are early losses and it just it's it's it feels a little bit sad there's a emotions or uh, the hormones are, are played with for a week or so and then there's the the other end of the spectrum that um a mis miscarriage is a horrendous thing so for both men and women it's a difficult thing emotionally um there's a lot of pain associated with it on both sides women also have the physical part which makes it a lot harder men don't have that that being said that isn't to say that it's a win win zero game you know it's not a one nil it's not a who hurts more so who needs more help the answer is that both need help and there's a it's been said a hundred different ways but if you can't you can't pour from an empty cup is a is an old one uh um, <laughs> different wording of the same thing is if the Unless the unless the king rises, the kingdom dies. You know, just if you're not in a position to to lead and to help and to support, if you're not in that position, you're not you're not gonna be able to support her in the way that she needs. And so, looking after yourself. And for me, the way I did that, I, I don't know if, what the right way would be, is I got around other like-minded men who shared my experience and I think the feeling what they gave me is I was able to because I couldn't share all of the sadness with my other half because or at least the story I was telling myself maybe I'd tell it differently but I couldn't share all of the sadness because it's just not, we didn't want to, I didn't want to dwell in what was going on with me. I would, sh I would, I would share enough to give us both space, but there was an extra part of me, just like she would go to her female friends and talk more about it. Men need to do their, their same in their own way. And I think men know themselves well enough to know how they get space. I think being around other men who are like-minded is one thing. And I, I, Personally, I think men doing something physical gets rid of a lot, a lot of the energy. Women don't seem to want to do that as much. Um, and ultimately, how you do it, I think, is less important than actually doing it because there's no one thing, no one thing you can, I can advise you to go and do, but it is because that's not the biggest barrier that men have to overcoming difficult times. The biggest thing is they just don't start. They just crack on. They just think it's unimportant or they think there's a, a one of the guests in my, my podcast was a, a guy named uh, Dave uh, Algeo. And he shared that men have this strange connection between pride and grit. There's something, some narrative that got told us maybe when we were... <laughs> 
our grandparents told get told when they were part of the war, first and second war and they told our parents and then they told us that to get your head down and crack on was a sign of, of manhood it was the, the more you could take and keep grinding it out the better off you would the better you were but that's that's one of the biggest lies we've been told for generations and being a better leader being a better man isn't about being indestructible it's about becoming resilient through dealing with your your shit rather than pretending it's not there which is when you think about it it just makes no sense why why would when has ignoring it ever made it better <laughs> well, your, your 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 story earlier says that brilliantly I and mean, you've told that very powerfully in two different ways today and, um, yeah I, I it's for me it's the the narrative that you know we mentioned at the top of the podcast simon sinek and his start with why i think that why concept has become pretty loud in business nowadays that living with your why makes sense and living authentically these are phrases that didn't exist a decade ago two decades ago 50 years ago they definitely didn't um but for me, I haven't figured out exactly what it is, but it's something to do with that, of something about um, alignment, leadership, moving forward, action. These are all things that when I do them, I feel more like myself. When I'm not doing them, I feel like I'm somebody else pretending. Brilliant way to end. Craig, I've so enjoyed this conversation. Really appreciated how you've um, shared your stories and... Um, all, all you've shared, so there'll be just a little bit of uh, loss there on the connection. Hopefully you heard that. But yeah, I really appreciate how you've shown up and shared your stories. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. It's been a great, great joy having you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure. And if uh, people want to find out more about you, where, where do they go? Yeah, I, I think if we're talking about what we're talking about and men are looking for a community of like-minded other men, uh, run a, a, a business uh, Facebook group called Business Plus Family Men. Uh, you can find it on Facebook, simple enough, or you go to my profile, Craig Hurd. It's right there. So that's a free thing I do more for selfish reasons of wanting a community of men rather than any other reason. But uh, it's, it's 100 and, 150 men and growing uh, that seem to really want to make progress in their business, with their wives, in their lives, and with their kids. Perfect. Great way to win. Thanks so much, Craig. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your preferred platform to get the latest episodes and join our mailing list at www.heartofdad.com. And just to remind you as a thank you, you'll get free access to all the recordings from the recent Heart of Dad Summit, where we dive deeply in what it is to be a business-owning dad. Hope to see you there.